Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Grace part 2, grace unhindered part 2 this morning. And I promise you, um, there's not enough time on a Sunday morning to work through all the things that we feel like the Lord shares with us um, as we prep and the interns and some of the young guys who are, who, are, who are learning to teach and preach the Word of God. They're coming in on Thursday mornings. We had a room full uh, from 9 to noon and we finalized the sermon together. And there was uh, just so much uh, that comes out and those type of things. But uh, someone should write a book. Maybe that'll happen. Who knows? Uh, but we're taking a lot of notes, especially from the things that we just don't have time to share. But this morning, I want to talk about the grace of God as this whole series pushes us to the things that hinder us from experiencing God's grace in its fullness. And there are a lot of things in individuals' lives that keep us from fully understanding grace. And one of those is you never really get to understand the grace of God that you receive until you have to give it away. Because typically, you have to give grace away to an area that doesn't deserve it and you don't want to. And I firmly believe that until you're required to do that, you can never understand the depth of God's grace. And it's one of the hindrances to receiving it in its fullness. I'm going to start again in Genesis chapter 1. And today, I hope that a particular area in the scripture brings you a new revelation. In a way that will change the way you view the rest of Of the scripture. From chapter 2. All the way to the end of Revelation. Watch this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Mark are they ready? They're not ready. They're not. Mark Mark was sitting on Thursday. And he was just like. Right like watch this. They're not ready Mark. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. Everybody say male and female. female. He created them. This is Genesis chapter 1. This is before the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding its seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit you shall have for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heaven, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it is so. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. I love the way the ESV puts that. And there was evening... And there was morning, the sixth day. So, Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ears and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Boy, how do you preach a grace sermon from Genesis chapter 1? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
How do you preach a grace sermon from the creation story? We know that in the midst of all that God declared good, there was one thing that did not please God. Although I think we are confused as to why it didn't please God. There's one thing in Genesis chapter 2 that God says, it is not good that man be And so here we are confronted one more time, but in the beginning. Because we typically start in the middle and move to the end. But, and so we don't pay as much attention to the beginning as we probably should. But here we are com- confronted with the unending love and commitment of God to mankind. Can I ask this question? And I hope that by the end of this message, every woman in this room is unbelievably blessed. Why create woman? God just said it. Because it was not good that man be. The problem with this thought process is that God's going, everything's good, everything's good. And all of a sudden, God's taking an inventory of everything's good. And he says, oops, something's not good. Now I've got to punt. And i got to try and fix this not good. So I'll create woman. And so in our mind, in our culture, in our attitude, woman can be a secondary thought to God's plan. And therefore, not have as much value. Come on, ladies. Because it's not good that man be alone. I'm going to ask you a question. Is God dealing with loneliness? Ooh, some of y'all. Listen, you can't answer, Breno. You were in prep. Was Adam lonely? Why create woman? If God is dealing with loneliness, but Adam was not experiencing loneliness, why create woman? Why create her? Because that's the grace of God. That's God's undeserving favor. We see from the very beginning of creation that God desires what is good for us. God wanted, and I believe God continues to want only what is good for us. And so when God saw that man was in this position, he acts. But what is the incomplete that God is actually dealing with? See, I think it's a mistake to run past this this portion of Scripture too quickly. Why male and female? Why male and female? I mean, why not just come up with some giant electronic store full of men? Why not just come up with some giant outlet mall full of women? We would have never known the difference. But God would have known. Was God jealous that all of creation had male, or Adam jealous that all of creation had male and female, but he did not? He wasn't. 
Adam had no concept of loneliness. The Bible says God came every day. So he creates them. And he pushes the creative process to the extreme. And I believe that here more than anywhere else in the Old Testament, God reveals his feelings towards us. He wants the best for us. So he fills creation with extras for us to enjoy. God blesses Adam and Eve in abundance. It's it's right there in the scripture. Everything they needed, everything they wanted to thrive, everything was there in abundance. And he encouraged them to enjoy life to its fullest. He fills the garden with lavish varieties of food to sustain them. Not only just to sustain them, but for them to delight in. Everything is for you. Everything is for you. And he gives them the gift of sexual relationship. Not just to reproduce, but to enjoy. This unblemished intimacy. And what I love about this scripture is that God gives them something, something that's incredible that he gave nothing else he created. Two remarkable things. He did for them what he did not do for anything else in creation. He blessed them. It's right there. And he gave them responsibility. Purpose. It's one of God's aspects of grace. Here they are, second in command over all of creation to extend and maintain the order of God in the world, in all of creation. And there's only one rule. There's only one rule. There's only one rule. There's all these yes trees... And there's one no tree. There's only one rule. That Listen, see, this is the thing that religion will pin us and, and keep us down. That's why we live in so much condemnation. What are the rules? What are the rules? What are the rules? How do I know if I'm pleased, God? What is a, Listen, in the beginning, in God's abundance, grace, and lavishing, his blessings, everything, there was one rule and a lots of yeses. Yes, 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 yes. Matter of fact, you don't even have to ask. Yes, 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 yes. There's one no. Not because of anything else other than it was God's. That's mine. Come on. God had the world just the way he wanted it. There's one commandment. Come on, church. It's unbelievable. Just the way God wants it. See, this is critical in our understanding of God's grace in our life. In the beginning, there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. In the beginning, the first two people never, ever, ever went to sleep at night wondering where they were with God. They never wondered. Is God mad at us? You think you'll come back tomorrow? Did we do anything wrong? What's happening? How do we continue to earn his favor to come back and visit us tomorrow? What if we didn't say everything right? What if we didn't do everything right? What if we're not doing everything right in the garden? What, 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 come on, somebody. They never thought about that. 
They never went to sleep wondering where they stood with God. Wouldn't that, come on church, wouldn't that be the greatest aspect of our revelation of grace? That we would never have to wrestle in our life where we stand with God. Come on, have you had bad days? And in those bad days, one of those things at the end of the day is just like, oh, I, I know God hates me. You ever gone through something and the only justification you can fathom for having to go through this is that the God who created the universe is out to get you? Come on, don't act spiritual in this place. I've been there. God, what did I do wrong? God, I've done everything you asked. The moment I tell God it's not fair is the moment... Come on, church. Then I'm beginning to doubt where I stand with God. Can I say this? Now, some of you are going to have to chew on it over lunch today, right? Where God's expression of grace is innumerable, his requirement is minimal. Yes, 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 yes. No. See, that's a lesson of life that's easily, easily erased. See, because religion makes it hard to keep that front and center. Because of that, we see it this way. God's requirements are what is innumerable. And his grace is what's minimal. No, 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 no. Yes. Come on, you ever felt like that's God's job in your life? Just to say no? Come on, parents, how many times have you told your kids, I said no because I love you? And we, we picture God that same way. We never picture God as saying yes, 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 because he loves us. Come on, young people, God says no to sex before marriage, Why? God says no to sex before marriage. Why? Because he, he loves us. And so when a young person doesn't walk in that, all of a sudden now God doesn't love us anymore because we made a mistake. Come on, husbands. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. He died for her. He gave up everything he was for her. And when we don't do that, come on, church. Come on, gentlemen. When we, come on. See, it's the requirements of God that are so innumerable that causes us to see the grace of God as very minimal. But grace in its purest form, it can have no strings attached. Grace in its purest form. Listen, it's not if you do this, then you get that. That's not the grace of God. The promises of God are that way. Somebody say amen. amen. But we're not talking about the promises of God. We're talking about the grace of God. There's a big difference. Come on, there's a big difference. But see, you get that all mixed up. You get that all confused. The promises of God are conditional. Absolutely. Come on, church. But I'm not talking about the promises in this sermon series. I'm talking about God's grace. There's a big difference in that. 
And much of our confusion about grace, it stems from our confusion about sin. And we severely underestimate the impact of sin in the world that we live in. All of creation was affected according to Romans chapter 8. And our problem is this corrupted world is all we know, so we have no idea of how bad things really are. Was Adam lonely? Why? Why was Adam not lonely? He had no concept of loneliness. We are born into brokenness. And so we have no concept of unbrokenness. We are born into slavery. We have no concept of freedom. This is the idea. This is where we live. And so listen, we don't have a Garden of Eden experience to compare it to like Adam and Eve did. We're just born into brokenness. Can I prove this to you? Does a fish know that it's wet? Does a polar bear know just how cold it really is? No, why? Because they're born into it. A fish has no concept of wet. You ever, you ever go, oh, like I, my wife and I tell all the time, oh, you want to go fishing? It's raining. The fish don't know that it's wet. You ever see those polar bears? I mean, they're big as a Volkswagen to start with. But they, they live on ice, and then they break a hole in the ice just to have fun and swim as if it's a hot tub. Does he not have any concept of why the ice is there to start with? Because it's cold. He doesn't. And so what has happened like all of creation, you and I have just adjusted to our surroundings. Brokenness now is normal. We can't appreciate just how far things are away from the way God intended it. You know what we do even in this world, even in our religious context, what we've done is we've substituted the word mistake for sin. And all of a sudden now, people aren't sinners, they're mistakers. The water's not so wet. The ice is not so cold. How many times have you heard a prominent leader describe an extramarital affair as a mistake? Can I say it? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not real sure you found yourself naked with somebody you're not supposed to be naked with and say, oops, how'd that happen? I took some effort. You see, y'all quiet now. Because, see, I just believe that unless both of those parties are blindfolded and gagged, I don't, I, don't think it's, I, don't, I don't think it's possible to have an accidental affair. Oops. Oops is what I do when I stub my toe. This, this is where people on YouTube will just turn the sermon off. 
See, it's, it's this reason that we never understand Adam and Eve and, and why they were not content with eating the abundance of all the yes. They felt compelled to eat the one no. And when they did, immediately they were aware of their nakedness and they were ashamed is what the scripture says. How interesting it is that sin is always the gateway to shame. And along with shame comes impaired judgment. Adam and Eve tried to hide from God in the garden he created. How smart was that? I mean, that's, that's like, that's, come on church, that, that's, that's like trying to hide from God by not going to church. It's not smart to try and avoid God by avoiding church. When God asked the question, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God didn't know where Adam was. It was because God was proving to Adam he didn't know where he was. God knew where Adam was. Adam was in the garden he created. God knows all, every nook and cranny and everything. God knew exactly where Adam was and what had happened and everything. God knew that they had sown these fig leaves. God knew that they were trying to cover up their own mess. God knew that they were trying to live without him. Where are you, Adam? It's not like, hey, I need to discover. I can't find you. Where are you, Adam, is... Adam, do you know where you are? Because sin led to shame, shame led to blame, and it's Adam that actually winds up ultimately blaming God for what happened. It was the woman you gave me. This is your fault, God. I wasn't lonely. I didn't have any issues, God, until you... Come on, saved people. I didn't have any issues until. Come on, saved people. I, I man, I, when I, I didn't have any issues till I really started reading the Bible. I didn't have any issues until I started going to prayer. I didn't have any issues until. I started to try and walk into things God. See, careful not to go too fast here. Because Adam's blaming God for his troubles. And mankind's been doing that ever since. He simply refused. Adam refused to accept responsibility for his behavior. So he chose to blame God. And so do we. And we struggle to reconcile the realities of suffering and injustice in the idea of this sovereign God. That's why we do it. See, from Genesis forward, God's taken the rap for all the evil that's happened in the world. Why did God let that accident happen? Why, why, why did God let my family member die from that disease? Why did God let... If God is a God of love, why did? Why did? If God loves us, why is my marriage struggle? If God loves me, why do I have prodigal children? If God loves me, why am I unemployed? If God loves me... See, our rationale is just as flawed as Adam's. So the question is, 
How did God respond to blame and shame? Grace. He gave Adam and Eve exactly what they did not deserve. God didn't suddenly disappear from their lives. Did you notice that? God God didn't suddenly just disappear. Oh, you sinned, so I can't be around you. I'm never coming to see you again. I'm not going to show up. God didn't suddenly just disappear from their life. Sin didn't cause them to be unable to hear the voice of God. Their sin didn't so separate them from God that God couldn't or wouldn't come looking for them. See, this is where you live because you don't understand grace. You think the thing that you're struggling with, you think the thing that you're wrestling with keeps God from finding you or separates you from God. You don't understand that nothing can separate you from the love of God. And he loves you so much that in the middle of all your mess, he comes looking for you. Can I, can I just say this? God's not afraid of your dirt. God's not afraid of your stink. You're not going to get God dirty with your mess. He's the first one to make a move after they sinned. It was God who said to Adam, hey, where you at? It wasn't Adam who said, God, where are you? It was God. It was God who came. And it was God who patiently listened As they tried to shift the blame and escape the responsibility of their sin was God. And let me show this to you. This is one of those. In that process, God announces curses. Boy, God is mad. He's going to punish them. Here we go. Woman, woman, just for that. Now you're going to suffer in pain in childbirth. And you're always going to have a need for your husband. Come on, ladies, you just want to smack Eve? Like a UFC elbow. What's the matter with you, epidurals? Because of that, Adam, 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 thorns are going to grow. And your work is always going to seem futile. It's never going to end. Come on. Come on. And you know what, guys? Your relationship as husband and wife, there's going to be strife. Seems harsh, doesn't it? Well, let me put it to you this way. God had every right to wipe them out and start over. But instead of them dying, he granted them mercy in the form of the curse. Now, there ain't a woman in here who's given birth and going through the pain of the birthing process who will just say, praise God for his grace. This is just the grace of God. You're not going to do that, are you? Because in our pain, we never see our pain as a portion of God's grace. But it actually is. There's not a man in here who gets up every morning with this futile weight on his back of having to work all the days of his life and gets up and thinks, praise God, this is just his grace. But it actually is. 
Let me put this to you. Webster's Dictionary defines mercy as compassion or forbearance shown especially to an offender. So God demonstrated mercy by holding back justice, the justice that Adam and Eve had earned through their disobedience. But instead, God delays their physical death. I'm going to tell you why. Because he already had put in place a plan of redemption. To curse in the Hebrew means to surround someone with obstacles. Now, all discipline feels like curse. Somebody say amen. But discipline teaches us two lessons. That disobedience has consequences and obedience leads to freedom. And so God responds to Adam and Eve's sin like a good parent would respond to their children. He disciplines them for the sake of... Of the future generations. That's an expression of grace for them. And for everyone who would follow. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. God chose not to destroy. But to discipline. See it's in this way. That grace comes into the world. And we would from this point on. This world we live in. Would be characterized. As a world of sin and death. And thousands of years later, the New Testament writer of the book of Hebrews says what? If God loves you, he disciplines you. Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines those he loves. Because he's a father. See, this is the other side of grace. Hey, listen, I, I need you to share this. I, my, my children are in the room, right? My grandchildren are in the room. And I'm just going to say this and I want you to just soak it up for a minute. Don't, don't, don't. I'm the greatest threat to the children I love the most. Why? Because I'm the only dad that comes to their mind when they think, I hope dad doesn't find out about this. But I'm also the only father they run to when they're scared, when they're hurt, when they have a need, and when they fail. Come on! So it's no surprise that after God disciplines them, that he gives them what they needed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Hello, somebody. It is so good. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and cloak grace. He gave them what they needed. He gave them what They needed. And there it is. Can I say this to us? From the very beginning, God has responded to the sin of humanity with amazing grace. Don't skip it. God outlines the consequences of their behavior. And then he addresses the serpent. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. I'm I'm trying to get to the point here. In Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, God addresses the serpent after he has addressed man. Don't miss this. What does he tell the serpent? Oh. 
Do you know the first created thing in the cosmos that heard the gospel was Satan? Not Adam, not Eve. God preached the gospel to Satan. Yeah, you can't just read your Bible. Watch this. You gotta, you gotta. Come on, you gotta read your Bible. Are, are you, are you here? He foreshadows the coming of the one who would take the full brunt of the sin's penalty, right? And so what he says is he says to Satan. The woman's offspring, you're going to bruise his heel. But he, everybody say he, singular. The woman's offspring, plural. But he, singular, is going to crush your head. In Genesis chapter 3, God preaches the plan of redemption to Satan. The bloodline, the Messiah is coming through the woman. Why create woman? The Messiah can't come without her. He can't come without her. He cannot come without her. When God says it's not good for man to be alone, what God is saying is in order for my plan of redemption to go forth, before the fall of man ever happened, God is saying, I'm a God of grace. I'm a God of mercy. And I've got to create this woman because i got a plan of redemption because through her is coming the Messiah, the one who will save the world. That's the grace of God. That's the, Mark, do it with me. Why create woman? Because Adam was lonely? No, because God already had a plan of redemption before man messed it up. And I need you to know something in this room right now. If you're in this place and you don't think you're worthy of who God is and what God wants to do for you because you've messed it up, you don't know that long before you came around and walked into that pile of poop that God already had a plan to restore you, to wash you, to clean you. God had a plan. Your stink is not greater than his grace. Glory to God. Why create woman? Because he's a God of grace. Oh my goodness. It's right there in Genesis chapter 1. He created a male and. The fall of man's not until chapter 3. The plan of redemption is in place. And chapter 1. I don't have time to do it, but in chapter 6, you see Satan trying to pollute the bloodline of man. The sons of God, which is a reference to fallen angels, came in and, 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 and had sex with the women and they begat. What, why? Why? Not, not to create some big ogre army. To try and pollute the bloodline so the Messiah couldn't come. Y'all ain't got it. Y'all ain't got it. You got to understand. And so God brings the flood. Why? So the bloodline can't be corrupted. 
did. He wipes who off the earth? And he starts over with who? Noah, his wife, and their... Oh, glory to God, it's His grace! Somebody should write a book. In this transition from the world... I don't even know if I can repeat all that during second service. So y'all pray for me. Because none of that was in my notes. I'm just going to do this. Come on up here, worship team. In the beginning, there was grace. Say it with me. In the beginning, there was grace. But watch this. Watch this. Watch this. That's just the beginning. Genesis establishes the grace of God by proving that the plan of redemption happened before the fall of man. And the way I can prove that to you biblically, theologically, and doctrinally is there she is. The woman. It's not good for man to be alone. See, if you think God's trying to deal with loneliness, what you think is God made a mistake and he's had to punt. And you devalue the woman as if she's a secondary thought. She's not. She was already part of his plan. It wasn't like God's walking through the garden one day and was like, hey, uh, wait a minute. Is God dealing with loneliness or a planned redemption? Oh, church, it had nothing to do with loneliness and everything to do with redemption. Grace! Grace, grace, grace. You can't have the Messiah without the woman. Stand with me. I love it. I love it. I love it. God tells Satan... God tells Satan, the Messiah is coming through her. The one you deceived? The one you targeted? The one you came in through the back door? Guess what? The Messiah is coming through her. Grace was established before sin ever came into the world. I'm going to say that again. This is, why you, this is why you think your sin is too great for God to forgive. That's a hindrance to receiving the grace of God in your life. And I can prove it to you. Grace was established before sin entered the world. Man! The gospel wasn't a last-minute punt. The gospel wasn't an, oh, no, what do we do now? The gospel of grace was completely established before sin came into the world. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. You should circle it, highlight it, and write grace. Grace.